Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Something you probably do know. Progressive can not only offer you a great price when you bundle home and auto, they offer you round-the-clock protection. Something you probably don't know. The average oak tree branch can hold 70 pounds. Something you probably do know. Your neighbor is building their kid a treehouse. Something you probably don't know. A falling treehouse would take out your whole fence. Bundle your home and auto with Progressive and get more than a great price. Get round-the-clock protection. Something you know for the things you don't know. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome to the X-Zone, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I'm your host and your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the X-Zone. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction, and fiction is reality. The X-Zone comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern on the Talkstar Radio Network, X-Zone Broadcast Network, Digital Satellite Broadcast Network, and other networks and affiliates around the world, including iHeartRadio. If you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And to uh, look at the new programming we have available for you 24 7, 365, including Ask Dr. Angela, Angelica, www.xzbn.net. Exonation, my guest this hour is John Prados, and we're going to be talking to John about the ghosts of Langley into the CIA's heart of darkness. John heads the National Security Archives Intelligence Documentation and Vietnam Projects, co-directs its Iraq Documentation Project, and is a senior fellow on National Security Affairs, and he is uh, author of more than 20 books. John, welcome to the Exxon. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> I, I have to ask you, John, um, where did your interest in, in the CIA come from? Well, that's a good question. Actually, uh, long ago, when I was in graduate school, mm-hmm. um, the CIA was being attacked for misunderstanding Russian military forces, and there were... Uh, there were actually a set of articles by a person who was a well-known commentator on military affairs that uh, made a series of explicit uh, charges against them, and they didn't sound right to me. Um, 
And so that's where I started out. I started out trying to figure out what was the truth about uh, CIA's uh, uh, strategic analyses of Russian nuclear forces. And I did, in fact, establish that the agency had been much closer to the reality than was this nuclear weapons theorist uh, who was making these charges. You know, this is the 70th anniversary of the CIA, and what would you say about its performance so far? I think there's major good things and major bad things. What I'm talking about here, about uh, understanding Russian military forces during the Cold War, that was probably one place where uh, they got it right more than they got it wrong. There were lots of very bitter fights uh, over the intelligence during those times. Mm -hmm. Um, But they did succeed at the CIA uh, in at least telling American presidents uh, to sort of be cautious about the kinds of things that they were charging. the CIA didn't get it all right, and the presidents didn't always believe them. So one of the big problems that uh, everyone talks about, about intelligence, this idea of politicization, you know, that dates back into that period of time. But nevertheless, the agency made uh, a real uh, effort. Um, in the Korean War, in World War II, its predecessor, the Office of Strategic Services, They made contributions there. It's less clear during the Southeast Asian wars Mm -hmm. in Vietnam and Laos and Cambodia that CIA's participation was uh, uh, useful for the United States. Uh, On a certain level, you could argue that the CIA actually started the Vietnam War, and they certainly sort of ended it with the helicopter lifting off the roof of the American embassy in Saigon in 1975. In the Cold War, with all the the covert operations that the CIA carried out, uh, I would say that no CIA covert operation, which they claim were in support of democracy, mm-hmm. ever led to a functioning democracy across the globe. And many of them led in exactly the opposite direction to autocracies or dictatorships. And... Uh, in the war on terror, I think the CIA's contribution has been decidedly mixed. So over the 70 years, I would say um, we were fortunate to have had a CIA warning us during the, the arms race of the Cold War, but in many of its operational aspects, the CIA has not been uh, that useful or helpful to the United States. Well, you know, how was Alan Duell's the longest-serving director, inspired to create a peacetime intelligence agency. Uh, Dulles, of course, was, uh, or you probably don't know this, but uh, during World War II, Alan Dulles was a member of the Office of Strategic Services, and in fact, he was uh, their station chief in Bern, Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, uh, he was responsible for one of the most lucrative intelligence penetrations of Nazi Germany that the Allies had. And Dulles was uh, enamored of the secret life and, and loved, you know, the idea of secret operations and spies and all of that. And, of course, the OSS and World War II, this was a very kind of a romantic period uh, and a romantic thing for many who participated in it. After the war, Dulles uh, built on that, you know, he missed having mm-hmm. uh, the intelligence service because, in fact, Harry Truman, who was the president, had abolished the OSS right after the end of the war. So Dulles became one of the people who pressed to have a peacetime intelligence service and argued uh, based on the Pearl Harbor attack, which mm-hmm. had surprised the United States that that um, issue of surprise required the democracy to have a peacetime intelligence service. And eventually the advocates of that um, got their way. And in 1947, the National Security Act created the CIA that we know today. 
Didn't President Kennedy also want to uh, abolish the CIA? Um, Kennedy was more purposeful. That is to say that uh, Harry Truman's Mm -hmm. response, I think, reflected his sense of, well, this is the end of the war, this is the end of a big war, you know, we don't need the things that we needed during war, I can do away with this intelligence service. John Kennedy came to a kind of a similar space, but uh, at the moment of the CIA's failure in its attempt to overthrow Fidel Castro with the Bay of Pigs invasion. So Kennedy's um, um, idea, if it was that, Mm -hmm. uh, was much more uh, fueled by a specific CIA failure, whereas Truman's was kind of a an amorphous, general, generic sense that the threat had gone away. In Kennedy's case also, uh, by the way, um, although he told uh, Ted Sorensen, his speechwriter and one of his biographers, you know, that he felt like uh, he should destroy the CIA and break it into a thousand pieces, uh, he never articulated that argument in as powerful a fashion to his other advisors. And so, for example, the president's Foreign Intelligence Advisory Board could recommend to the president that uh, the CIA's operations directorate not be allowed to move into its new headquarters at Langley, and maybe, in fact, it should be dismantled. Um, But uh, Kennedy did not act on that. The most that he did was call in the head of the CIA's operations directorate, uh, uh, a fellow named uh, Richard Bissell, and say to him, uh, you know, uh, Bissell, by the way, had been sort of widely regarded as the uh, presumptive heir to become the head of the CIA when Alan Dulles left. Anyway, he he told Bissell, you know, if this was a British parliamentary system, you know, um, I would be leaving and you would stay, you being the professional. Uh, but this is uh, American democracy and you have to go. So that was the end of Bissell's hopes to become director of the CIA. So Bissell did not uh, succeed to the head uh, leadership of the CIA, but the CIA was not dismantled. I find it strange that it, it appears that Kennedy had two sides when it came to the CIA. Because as, as everyone knows, the CIA cannot operate within the United States. And this is based on American law. And yet, Kennedy was well aware that the largest CIA operation and the CIA area was in Miami. And that there were over 300 agents there. And all the plans for the uh, Cuban exercises or anything to do with Cuba were carried out in Miami, and Kennedy knew about this. So doesn't that make him complicit in breaking American law? Uh, Yes, it does. Um, And there were a number of different uh, facets to Mm -hmm. this, not just the Miami operation, but also the fact that uh, we were training uh, saboteurs and frogmen in yep. uh, New Orleans and Louisiana, and we were carrying out uh, basing and logistics activities from the Florida Keys, and we were uh, ranging up and down the, the East Coast, in fact, to recruit Cubans for these operations. Here's uh, uh, an interesting point. Um, you know, the United States, and this is now after the Bay of Pigs, okay. and even after the Cuban Missile Crisis. Actually, in the Cuban Missile Crisis, here's a catalytic point, you know, where one of these CIA commando raids on Cuba was scheduled to happen right in the middle of the Missile Crisis, and if it had, um, you know, the Russians and the, the Castro-Cubans would have thought this was the beginning of an American invasion, and World War III could have started right there. Uh, But fortunately, uh, the Kennedy 
higher-ups uh, sort of woke up to this, and, mm-hmm. and uh, Bobby Kennedy actually was instrumental in, in tamping down the operation and stopping it. All right, John, you and I have to so, take a commercial break. Please stand by. ExoNation, our okay. guest this hour is John Prados, and um, he is the author of The Ghosts of Langley, Into the CIA's Heart of Darkness. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. John Prados and I return on the other side of this break as we continue talking about the ghosts of Langley. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Nation John Prados is our special guest, and if you'd like to get more information about John or visit his website, it is www.johnprados.com. That's J-O-H-N-P-R-A-D-O-S dot com. Uh, John, I was wondering if you could finish off what you and I were talking about just before we went to the break. Absolutely. So uh, they desperately stopped this covert operation, this raid on Cuba that was supposed to happen right in the middle of the missile crisis, mm-hmm. but... Instead of standing down on the Cuba operation, President Kennedy ramped it up and took it to a higher level in his National Security Council machinery, and uh, they approved a new program that would have the CIA uh, supporting various Cuban exile groups. Now, this went on until in the spring of 1963, uh, some of these Cuban exile groups attacked Russian merchant ships on the high seas off the Bahamas. And it was the shock of realizing that these exiles really could do whatever they wanted and the U.S. government was associated with them that woke the United States up to the fact that they had a problem here. And still, Kennedy mm-hmm. was not willing to, to let go and another plan was approved in the summer of 1963, and even just before his assassination, in fact, 10 days before his assassination, President Kennedy was getting uh, briefed on the CIA operation against Cuba and approving the next slate of uh, exile raids that was supposed to be made against Castro. What do you think the real reason why the Americans wanted to intervene in Cuba? Was it really the was it really the fact that the Russians were putting missiles on Cuban soil 90 miles away from the continental United States after all at that time in history the United States had 
missiles in in Turkey that were you know pointed to the to Russia. So, in, right. base, in your opinion, what was the real reason for the the uh, conflict between the United States and Cuba? My interpretation of the Russian missiles is is you know that in fact uh, Khrushchev had uh, saw an opportunity to do two things at once, one of them being help defend Castro against the United States, and mm-hmm. the other one being to uh, reverse the strategic balance between Russia and the United States by putting nuclear weapons uh, very close to the United States. So uh, in any case, the CIA operations and the Kennedy operations against Castro predated the Russian intervention with the nuclear missiles. So I think that um, the proper place to look for causality here Mm -hmm. is in the American actions, not so much the Russian ones. And the American actions, uh, it's now very clear that uh, uh, what I was telling you before about the the sort of uh, dynamic action of the American administration in terms of opposing Castro and organizing activities against them mm-hmm. uh, was strong and it was immediate and it was ongoing. You know, the Bay of Pigs invasion failed from April 17th to April 20th of 1961. It was on May 5th, only about two weeks later, that the Kennedy administration approved the next covert operations plan against Castro. That is to say, in effect, the Cubans were still marching their prisoners, the Castro Cubans were still marching their prisoners into the jails when the CIA extended its operation against Castro. Oh, my gosh. Is there any connection between the CIA, this is, you know, based on the research that you've done, and by the way, you've done a fantastic job. I love the work that you've done. Thank you. Is there a connection between the CIA and the assassination of JFK, or is it, as many people believe, that it's, number one, either the mob, or, number two, Lee Harvey Oswald operated as a lone uh, gunman? Right. Um, I'm going to leave it to the Kennedy assassination historian okay. to work out what uh, was actually happening there. But I will say that um, you can argue that on a certain level, John F. Kennedy himself was a ghost of Langley. And I use that phrase, ghosts of Langley, in the title of my book as a metaphor, you know. It's um, the, uh, the person whose example you want to avoid, or conversely, you know, the sort of hero... Uh, that you want to emulate, uh, who sets kind of the rubrics of behavior for the organization. In this sense, Kennedy would have been an example to avoid, in the sense that the uh, kind of determination and the kind of uh, uh, degree to Mm -hmm. which he pushed this Castro operation uh, sort of put him in a vulnerable position. Uh, if it not for an assassin bullet, it could have been for a political scandal, you know, um, because of uh, the association of this with failed covert operations and with uh, a, a very controversial Cuban exile political movement. If you looked at the history of CIA assassination plans, that was extensively investigated in the 1970s by the Church Committee and the Rockefeller Commission, you know, Mm -hmm. you find a whole series of plans that the agency worked out at various times to neutralize, as they called it, uh, leaders of other countries that the United States did not like at the time. And guess what? All of those plans, you don't find any trace of planning for something like that after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So whatever was going on in the previous period, it came to an end in Dallas on November 22, 1963. 
You've studied the CIA for many years, and The Ghost of Langley is your seventh book on the agency. Um, here you're very critical of the agency. Has your view of the CIA changed over the years, John? Um, yes, I think it has. I mean, I mentioned to you earlier about the, the Russian strategic yeah. forces and the CIA analysis and estimates. And, um, at first, and I defended the agency and its, its, uh, estimating processes and, uh, a lot of the stuff that it was trying to do, even up to this period of the Bay of Pigs and the Cuban operations. Mm -hmm. um, I think, though, that uh, as I changed my focus from uh, the, the agency's efforts to analyze information and to provide intelligence to U.S. presidents uh, and sort of focus to a greater degree on uh, the agency's field activities in terms of covert operations, I have come to sense that there's a, a greater danger in that area. Let's just for a moment mention the Vietnam War, which is something I don't really deal with in my book, Ghosts of Langley, but I hope to in the future. Uh, here is one place where um, the agency's analytical efforts at intelligence reporting and its field efforts at operations were both kind of concurrent in the same place. And uh, I think that if we're ever going to get to the bottom of the question of was the CIA successful and how successful was it, it's going to be in a milieu like that where you can look simultaneously at its efforts in different areas. Right from the start of the book, uh, John, in the reader's note, you mentioned how languages play a key role in the CIA's deceptions and that some sort of uh, actions are cloaked in euphemisms. Can you discuss this? Yes, I think that um, quite deliberately, uh, both to um, uh, improve their chances of having their plans uh, approved, in this case by the George W. Bush administration, and also to uh, avoid public scrutiny and public controversy from what they were doing in the, the uh, black prisons and torture programs, the agency made a deliberate effort to cloak what they were doing in a, uh, a sea of language. And so, uh, you know, there weren't concentration camps or, or torture uh, sites. There were black prisons or black sites. And, you know, they weren't beating people up. They were grabbing their attention. Um, and I... They weren't torturing, they were doing enhanced interrogation. Hmm. Um, and I think, and this is an agency that, by the way, one of its specialties is psychological warfare, I think that to adopt uh, their nomenclature for all of these things is a mistake and prevents uh, the public and the analyst and the observer from squarely facing what it was that the agency was up to here. So in the book, I do this reader's note that in which I expressly say that um, I'm not going to go along with their nomenclature for what it was that they were doing, because that is letting the CIA determine the field of the discussion. Wow. Official historians of the CIA have claimed that the agency's actions sought to, and I'll put this in, you know, air quotations over here, promote and protect democracy. And yet you argue that that is far from the case. Why is that, John? I'm not quite certain. Uh, are the official historians sort of using a, a definition of mm -hmm. democracy that, you know, you or I or the general public would not be aware of? Or is it that uh, they are defining the operations very narrowly in terms of what it was in the planning documents that said that they were after and supposedly uh, uh, supporting. I just don't know. But for example, let's take the uh, let's take the example of Italy. Okay. okay? The CIA 
uh, pats itself on the back that they're helping to uh, protect Italian democracy. But what is it, in fact, that the agency did there? They went in and they financed center and center-left candidates, and they bought newspapers and uh, uh, put out propaganda designed to support their guys. And uh, they signed deals with the Italian government wherein U.S. aid money to Italian manufacturers would be based on the degree to which those manufacturers excluded uh, political, uh, sorry, labor unions that were leftist or socialist or communist from their plants. Uh, in effect, what the agency was doing was uh, operating to obstruct Italian political parties acting in the Italian political mil uh, milieu, right? That's the opposite of supporting democracy. All right, John, I hate to do this, but we've got to take another break. Please stand by. Exonation John Bra uh, Prados is our special guest, www.johnprados.com. He's the author of The Ghosts of Langley into the CIA's Heart of Darkness. And uh, John and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exome from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. John Prados is our guest of this hour, Exxon Nation. He is the author of The Ghosts of Langley, Into the CIA's Heart of Darkness. His website is johnprados.com. Uh, so when we look at the CIA today, after you doing all this wonderful research that you've done, do we need the CIA? Uh, that's a good question. I would say that, oh, excuse me? No, I, uh, I didn't say anything, my friend. Okay. Um, I would say that here in the context of the, uh, the war on terror, you know, with the um, seriousness of uh, the upheavals across the globe, mm -hmm. and I'm not talking here just of obvious uh, security threats, but also of long-term major issues, climate change. Let's talk about climate change for a second. You know, that is going to be an intelligence issue that because it drives the behavior of peoples and of nations. We've already got the term in the language of uh, a climate refugee. Mm -hmm. You know, people will be moving, people will be trying to do stuff uh, to protect themselves from an environment that's threatening them, from an environment that's becoming increasingly atrocious. And those 
things that people will be doing will have intelligence implications. So I do think we need an intelligence service. The next question becomes, is it the CIA that we do need? And that's where you encounter the problem of the ghosts of Langley, an organization with the background of the Central Intelligence Agency and the kinds of sort of instilled behaviors of the Central Intelligence Agency and the climate of secrecy that has so long cloaked the Central Intelligence Agency. Those things, I maintain, are not so useful to the enterprise of uh, intelligence, whether in the United States or, for that matter, in Canada. Yeah. You know, So... Um, I'm not sure that we need the CIA, but I do think we need an intelligence agency. The the uh, the new president of the United States, Donald President Trump, he doesn't seem to have any respect for the intelligence agencies. How does this affect the effectiveness of the CIA? See here, that's one of the difficulties right there. The uh, the. Uh, the ghosts of Langley, the agency's officers, mm -hmm. you know, concerned about their longevity in this new Trumpian world, are going to be um, a sort of extra uh, permissive, shall we say, okay. in terms of responding to the kinds of orders that Trump may give. And you've already seen from his behavior how the kinds of orders that he gives can be totally peremptory and, and completely mm -hmm. unconsidered. Meanwhile, uh, the CIA itself has carried out an internal reorganization that uh, takes away many of the barriers to offensive action that used to exist. They've reorganized themselves into what they call mission centers, and those effectively uh, reduce the effect of uh, intelligence analysis uh, and convert a lot of the analytic capability that exists into a uh, drive for uh, uh, information to support their operations. So their, their operations will be less well-considered and less well-managed. Uh, and because of what happened with the torture program and their uh, deliberate attempt to uh, evade the... Uh, Senate Intelligence Committee's investigation, they basically cut off uh, the American accountability system that might have defended the CIA against falling into one of these sort of operational traps. So uh, my analysis is that the CIA is in a vulnerable position and they are without much of the traditional defenses that might have helped them survive uh, a sort of intelligence flap. ExoNation, our guest this hour is John Prados. His website is www.johnprados.com. He's the author of The Ghosts of Langley, Into the CIA's Heart of Darkness. And uh, John, do you think that we will ever learn the full extent of CIA abuses during the War on Terror? And if so... Do you think there will be any action taken by either Senate or congressional hearings? That's a good question. Um, and I'm not going to promise we will ever learn mm -hmm. uh, the full extent of what happened here. Uh, judging from the, uh, the vituperation and the determination with which the agency went after the Senate investigators, and their willingness to skirt the bounds of legality in order to suppress that investigation, um, I'm thinking that we won't. In particular, um, because of the, uh, the success, their success in getting Trump to call back the copies of the full Senate report and uh, getting Obama to suppress the text of the full report before Trump got to the White House. Um, I'm not sure that the Senate or the House, the congressional committees can ever regain the ground that they lost here. Mm -hmm. And I also think that the agency walked away from that situation in a sort of a 
a cocky kind of a mood, um, which will lead them to be even less uh, responsive about uh, owning up to their uh, their peccadillos in the future. So uh, I have some doubts about whether we'll learn the full extent of what happened in the abuses. I would imagine that the CIA was in its heyday when President George Bush, who had formerly headed the CIA, was was president. Um, that's not quite true. The problem that uh, the first President Bush had on his watch mm -hmm. was that uh, he was coming off of the Iran-Contra scandal in the United States, which involved the CIA in a very specific way as the enabler and also the uh, sort of deception unit for uh, a covert operation run right out of the White House. Yeah. Um, and the agency at that time, you know, insisted that it had nothing to do with it, uh, you know, didn't know anything about it, and so on and so forth, which ended up with a number of senior CIA officials uh, uh, indicted for criminal uh, offenses. Uh, and, in fact, with the, uh, the director of the CIA, Bill Casey, you know, dying at his desk at Langley. Uh, well, in effect, dying. I mean, he had the seizure there, but he eventually passed away in the hospital. Um, uh, you know, so so the first President Bush, before anything else, had to deal with this, the sort of uh, remnants of this scandal. Mm -hmm. uh, the court cases were still going on at that point. As a matter of fact, on uh, Christmas Eve of his last year in office, when... Mr. Bush had already lost the election to Bill Clinton, and Clinton was ramping up to take over the White House on January 20th. Uh, Mr. Bush used that last Christmas Eve to pardon, you know, the CIA officers and some of his cabinet members who were uh, indicted or even at trial uh, at that very moment for the Iran-Contra scandal. And yet nobody has said anything about that. Nobody has raised any far about that. And yet when President Trump pardoned Sheriff Joe, my Lord, you know, I, I was I was expecting heads to roll. Uh, yes. <laughs> the pardon the pardon power in the United States is somebody should make a study of that actually. <laughs> Very interesting the way that has been used over time. Yeah, Gerald Ford with uh, President Nixon, for example. Yes, exactly yeah. right. That's right. And Clinton with some of his big uh, 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 money contributors. Yep. Yeah, that is so true. You, you say towards the end of Ghost of Langley that CIA directors like John Brennan had good intentions but ultimately failed. How and why? Well, in the case of Mr. Brennan... You know, um, he went in uh, from the White House, actually much as George Tenet had, uh, coming off of the first President Bush, as a matter of fact. When the first President Bush was in office, George Tenet was working on the Senate committee. John Brennan uh, actually worked for George Tenet as his chief of staff and the executive director of the CIA at the time when Tenet was the director. Uh, so Brennan had uh, a long experience in intelligence. He was a professional officer. He had uh, the advantages of all of that. And he had been pulled into the Obama White House as a top uh, staff person on intelligence matters. So he also had the support of President Obama and the experience of being up on all the issues because he had worked in the Obama White House on intelligence matters. So he comes to Langley with all the potential advantages, and on the way there, he tells the Senate during nomination hearings, you know, that he's with them, he agrees that waterboarding is torture, he's read the torture report and agrees it should come out, etc., etc., etc. But uh, once sworn in, Mr. Brennan 
becomes uh, captivated, shall we say. He becomes a captive of the ghosts of Langley. You know, he becomes subservient to these mores and distilled rules of behavior that exist within the organization that flow from its historical development. And all of a sudden, the interest is in protecting the officers, avoiding the scandal that will engulf the agency if it admits to all the torture uh, issues uh, and abuses, uh, and um, uh, the obstruction of justice that had been carried out by the CIA. Some CIA officers had destroyed tapes and records of torture sessions thus, in fact, impeding investigation of what the agency had actually done. So Brennan turns around. In the book, Ghosts of Langley, I argue that he became kind of like the Flying Dutchman. You know, he sails close to the, uh, the, the gods of accountability, that is the Senate Intelligence Committee, the, the oversight unit. You know, sails close to them, makes them think that Yes, he's going along with his promises about accountability and then turns away and helps to suppress the, uh, the torture report. Hmm. Um, and those things made him fail. And the other thing that is a failure, in my opinion, although this may turn out, uh, this has not yet worked out. All right, so why don't we have a bit of a cliffhanger here because I do have to take my final break. Exo Nation, All John Kratos right. is our special guest www.johnpratis.com, and he is the author of a fascinating book, A Great Christmas Gift, Exonation, The Ghosts of Langley, Into the CIA's Heart of Darkness. We'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. You can always send me an email, w, uh, yeah, right, W. Let's try Exxon at exxonradiotv.com. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away. The Earth is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations. Yet, viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself, finding safe passage through challenging times? I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Art School with Great News, an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family. Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow are a series of online adult and children's lessons instructing your entire family on natural law, how to cooperate with and be supported by the powers of the universe. Visit findyourpathhome.com to find these unique and powerful classes. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back, everyone. John uh, 
Prattis is our special guest this hour. www.johnprattis.com. He's the author of The Ghost of Langley, Into the CIA's Heart of Darkness. John, I, I had to cut you off, uh, you know, before we went to the break, but can you just uh, wrap up that question for us? Sure. So, um, uh, Brennan put himself in the position of defending his agency, mm-hmm. and that meant spurning the uh, the accountability to which the CIA is theoretically uh, subject. Uh, so, um, that means, in effect, that he ultimately failed as being the accountable modern CIA director. Now, something that I don't understand, maybe you can help me figure this out. I understand that, Guant- uh, uh, you know, Cuba is a totally different country. There's, you know, there's an embargo against Cuba. The Americans cannot go to Cuba and be tourists. And, and yet... Guantanamo Bay is in Cuba. How did how did that happen? <laughs> ah, good question. Um, it began because of coal, actually. Um, back at the turn of the 20th century, we're talking mm-hmm. 1900s going to uh, uh, or 1800s going to 1900s. You know, the main motive force for ships was uh, steam engines powered by coal. Right. But coal uh, gets used up very quickly mm-hmm. and needs to be replenished, which means that you need uh, sort of regional bases. And a regional base for uh, shipping on its way to Panama to transition from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific through the Panama Canal, um, Cuba was the ideal place. The Americans now uh, fought a war with Spain in 1898 over Spanish colonial possessions in the West Indies, uh, primarily, although the Philippines was also an issue here. But in any case, the Americans conquered Cuba in 1898, and then in handing it over to a Cuban successor administration to the Spanish, you know, carved out this deal for the Guantanamo base which they uh, conveniently gave to themselves for 100 years for a minimal rental fee. That's where Guantanamo came from, and it's still there. But, you know, if, if you've got this Cold War going on, going back to the 60s, uh, like, why would Cuba still put up with Guantanamo Bay being on their, t- in, on their country? Well, you know, Castro uh, may have been a communist or, mm-hmm. or a socialist or whatever it was that he was, but he was a smart guy. And uh, you don't start a war against the United States to get rid of Guantanamo. Now, what the Cubans did do was protest Guantanamo and right. have demonstrations outside Guantanamo and protest American imperialism at the United Nations and significantly... Uh, ever since the, the Castro government took over Cuba in 1959, they have never can they have never cashed the annual checks that the United States sends them for the minimal rent that America pays on the Guantanamo Bay base. So uh, the Cubans are symbolically uh, not accepting the Guantanamo base, but. Uh, they are without power to actually do something about it. Is the Guantanamo base a CIA operation? There, as far as I know, there isn't a, a formal CIA station at Guantanamo. There isn't a, an, a base like the base you were talking about in Miami right. earlier. Yeah. Um, but I am, I'm sure that there is a CIA liaison team, and, and, you know, there is some kind of an agency presence at Guantanamo. Let me ask you this. You know, here on this show, we talk about ghosts, we talk about hauntings, we talk about exorcisms, and, 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 you know, with the ghost of Langley, is there an exorcist? (laughs) Good question. Um, In my schema, 
I think there was a chance at exorcism. I believe mm-hmm. that George Tenet actually represented that chance. Tenet was the director of the CIA from about 1996 through 2000, and, or 97, let's say, through 2004. And um, he was the head of the CIA at a moment when the Cold War had just ended. The world seemed to be full of possibilities. He could see that the old sort of Cold War uh, image of the CIA and the rationale for the CIA had ended and that the agency needed to have a new kind of basis to go forward. And so it was uh, his project to create that new foundation. And I think he made some attempts to do that. You know, he uh, changed um, some of the approaches that the CIA had had, for example, Mm -hmm. to uh, research and development of new equipment and so forth, also to public information. He made an opening to the American people and uh, others, Canadian scholars too, uh, in, in the form of... Uh, uh, releasing more material on CIA history, even having conferences uh, where agency officers discussed their activities in various international settings. Uh, And he did a bunch of this stuff. And then uh, in the middle of these efforts, um, you know, 9-11 happened. And... uh, uh, in a, a large sense, Tenet was the victim of the September 11th attacks. Tenet was the one, in fact, who ended up setting up the black prisons and the CIA torture program. So uh, right then, the world changed on his watch. Just as a, an item of curiosity, actually, um, when 9-11 happened, one of these conferences that Tenet had sponsored was going to be, was scheduled to happen like about two weeks or so after the September 11th attacks. And once the September 11th attacks happened, naturally that conference was canceled. And that whole sort of program just kind of trailed off into the sunset. So uh, the openness initiative mm-hmm. and the the sort of uh, reformatting the CIA's understanding with the American people ended uh, in the collapsed World Trade Center. Did the CIA drop the ball on 9-11? That's been a controversial issue in the United States. Um, To some degree it did because certainly the agency had knowledge that a couple of the people who were eventually among the hijackers had entered the United mm-hmm. States, and if they had passed that information on to the FBI, the FBI would have been in a much better position to monitor them and maybe find out what was going on with them. And the CIA knew about the participation of some of the 9-11 hijackers in a meeting that the terrorists had in Malaysia uh, before all of this went down. So... Um, in those ways, the CIA did drop the ball. But in another important way, in the summer of 2001, the agency actually knew enough to warn um, then-President uh, uh, Bush, just having come in, that um, the terrorists were moving to use like aircraft for mass casualty events of terrorism. And that was uh, a warning that should have or could have uh, led to a dedicated watch that might have discovered some of the stuff that was going on uh, that led to 9-11. So there's a place where it was the White House that dropped the ball, not the CIA. In short, you know, there's lots of responsibility out there, NSA, FBI as well, plenty to be shared, not just the CIA. You know, John, we're coming to the final uh, minute of our interview. First of all, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on a great book. And, and what are your final thoughts for the Exxon Nation tonight? 
I would say that uh, in public vigilance is the key to protecting citizenry, uh, not just from enemies, but from our own uh, uh, organs of government. And that uh, openness and uh, accountability on the part of government agencies is necessary for the adequate function of the national polity. And those are the things that we really need to stand up for. John, thank you so much for joining us. To you and yours, a very Merry Christmas and nothing but the best for 2018. And I look forward to the next time you and I join each other back here in the X-Zone. Until then, blessings to you and yours. Thank you very much, and to yours as well. Thank you, John. Exonation, if you'd like to get more information about John Prados, his website is www.johnprados.com. That's www.johnprados.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Send me your emails, exxon at exxonradiotv.com. And uh, we're also on Facebook and all the other social media outlooks out there. We'll be back. Don't go away. <laughs> 